Global Partners for Development proudly presents What Do You Understand? A deep dive into the many facets of philanthropy and development. We will have conversations about what really works and what really doesn't. Do we know yet how to solve poverty? Are big ideas the answer, or do we need to look for small grassroots solutions? Experts in their field will discuss an aspect of their work that they understand particularly well. We will delve into how their work addresses global inequity with an honest conversation about impact. Let's talk about big bets, innovation, social enterprises, large-scale humanitarian aid and the fixation on ending things, or solving humanity's greatest problems, and the issues that arise while tackling it all. I am your host, Rhea Pullen, and my co-host is the Executive Director of Global Partners for Development, Daniel Casanova. Hi, Daniel. How are you? Hey, Rhea. Zit. We're pilot. doing it. We're doing it. We're doing it's the pilot. I think. Yeah, I think the other key to this is what was it? It's uh, Rhea learns development. Yeah, or Rhea learns <laughs> philanthropy because <laughs> I'm coming in with more of like a hosting background. But I this is my first foray into the nonprofit world into philanthropy, and I am learning by jumping in. Yeah. So you know pretty much through all your experiences have learned about philanthropy and development. Um, can you kind of explain to me how you get started in this? Is this something you wanted to do as a kid? <laughs> yeah, you know, no, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an adventurer. Like I was like, well, I was thinking about us doing this. I was like, oh, I have, there's all those sound bites you have in life of like, this is what I say about myself. So I was going to try to not do that, <laughs> but I will start by doing that. I always okay. say that people ask me be like, I was like, I wanted to be like Sir Richard Burton or Lawrence of Arabia. I was like gonna be an adventurer. My grandfather was like overly fixated on those like British explorers. And I was gonna, you know, I grew up around ethnographic and tribal art and I thought like, oh, I wanna go to those places. Um, so as a younger person, I would have been like, no, I was gonna be like Indiana Jones and travel around the world. And it was really aimless and privileged and there wasn't a lot of focus to it. So so when I graduated high school, I that's what I did. I went and traveled around the world and tried to do it in the really obscure ways. Like I, you know, tried to travel as much by like foot or land or sea. And um but I think that the short versions that as I did those things, I always was I always came in contact with some form of development or philanthropy or NGOs working in the world. And it was always like, you know, it's hard to go travel in the world and not see disparity and mm -hmm. poverty and you move to do something about it. So the universe had a plan. Like I, I you know, initially I'd be like, maybe I'm gonna be like a filmmaker. And I was like a megalomaniac young guy. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna do these amazing things. And it was really ego driven. But um, the other side of my life is that my parents, I think, are philanthropists and through and through. And growing up, my dad um, was an executive director for a large uh, nonprofit based in Los Angeles that worked with homeless people. And so I like, you know, I grew up around that. You're just and following in his footsteps. I'm just following. <laughs> there's nepotism there. I mean, I, you know, like you, you do what you learn. I mean, I, you know, or I could have been a book dealer or something like that. But when I was in high school, I used to volunteer at needle exchange programs oh. in Los Angeles. And this was in the early days of like the harm reduction movement and those things. And it was because my dad was involved in it. So, 
Um, but it was cool. It was like all these young punk rock people and it felt radical and it was that kind of thing. So I got involved in doing that. And then similarly, when I traveled internationally, I, I started gathering all these other types of philanthropic groups to do work with. I worked with the floating hospital in Bangladesh, Friendship Floating Hospital, and um, met people in West Africa that were doing things and started developing that network. And then, you know, you have to work. So I, when I- <laughs> Oh, you weren't like, making money doing this? I, <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't, well, I mean, I wasn't, no one was paying me to be an adventurer. So, okay. you know, you look at, yeah, exactly. So, you know, when I, after I traveled a long time, I was offered an opportunity to run an needle exchange program in LA. And so I did that. And, um, you know, that led to lots of other types of consulting work with nonprofits. And I, you know, I always tell people I'm an expert hanging out with old white men. Um, so that, <laughs> I mean, there's like, there's what's interesting about um, nonprofit work is like, th there's, a lot of what's going on in the backdrop is just around fundraising mm -hmm. and marketing and doing those things and relationship building. And I, I joke a lot. People talk about like, how do you get grants from major foundations or how do you get funding? And I'm like, I think of it. It's like the, it, it, it's fit into the niche of the capitalist system. There's like this inner circle of people that are already in that are getting funded by this small amount of funders, you know, because it's not a large network. And then there are this like middle circle of people that are like hovering. And then there's everyone else that's like mm -hmm. in this outer ring. And so like the people that are in the outer ring are never going to make it in to that inner ring. And like what happened, the only way to get into that inner ring is to be in that middle ring and someone in that inner ring has to die. Oh, it's <laughs> a little morbid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so then when they die, you those someone like steps in, but anyway, so, um, are you talking about the inner ring of givers or the inner ring of nonprofits that want the money? Which, the inner you? ring of of nonprofits that want the money. The, okay. There's like the, the people that are making the grant makers and funders and the small inner ring. You have to be in with them. It's like I networks see. of things. And I think it's like anything, right? There's there's the people that are in the zeitgeist, right? Okay. That are like the hot thing for whatever reason or mm -hmm. the hot person in philanthropy, right? They're the philanthropic superstars and people running programs so what's what's an example of something that's in the middle range? is that like the bill and melinda gates foundation what well i mean bill melinda this? gates would be the people the people who are funding, funding funders in that and then there's the people that want to be there so you know there's the people that get all the awards there's the people that you know get awards from like the skull foundation or the awardees of the bill and melinda gates I stuff see. and i think that um you know it's nepotistic and it's small and it it's you based know, on your network, maybe. I think it's. I think it's. It is based on. I think the people that are those funders would want to say that it's based on really good science, and that they're. And, and it's true. There is. It's not that those organizations aren't good, right? It's. It's whatever. It's. A, I have to. I think similar to anything. There's. There's a lot of un, other organizations and unknown things that are not getting in because they don't have the network or the connection or aren't doing it. And, so from the needle exchange program to global partners, where was this arc that brought you to global partners from the needle exchange program kind of as your first foray into leading like a nonprofit cause? Yeah. I mean, so I had been doing a lot of domestic work at the time before I came to global partners. I was working at a homeless youth shelter in Berkeley um, and I wanted to work. I mean, the honest truth is my wife was like, you need to get a straight job and not. <laughs> 
be working for so many people. And and then she also was like, maybe we should go live abroad somewhere. You should start looking at international jobs because I had that background in doing that. So she is so um, global partners happened. I mean, it was just like one of those random things. And I think culturally global, you know, I grew up going to these like hippie dippy private schools and talking about my feelings and the global partners is this very unusual organization in that I think the board of directors are people that can, that communicate really well and can talk about things in a really grown up way and build consensus. And that, that is like part of the culture of the organization. And then they also really cool because they were, you know, it's really, I think it's hard to find work from, a, from, from, from the worker bee, right? Like being Got the it. person in the organization, it's hard to find organizations where you're not plugged into a really giant system. Okay. It's already got something amazing going that you're just like a cog in the wheel doing. Whereas Global Partners had this really interesting ethos that I believed in in my other grassroots work, which was like true grassroots work that was funding projects that were community led by okay. the recipients of the, you know, piece. So needle exchange is like that. Needle exchange came out of this movement of drug addicts and users creating programs for themselves. And so Global Partners was had a similar type of philosophy, right? They they are funding projects that are led by local people on the ground. So and, that's what grassroots is. And what is the opposite of grassroots, I guess? Well, there's top is. down development. I mean, Does so that mean just throwing lots of money at a problem? What is, what is it the looks opposite like a of lot grassroots? Of things. I mean, I think, you know, what's interesting is I think it's not organized. I mean, the opposite of grassroots, I think, would be top down. Okay. Funding. And so on one of the large scales, it's government programs, right? Mm -hmm. And his, and now I think government programs want to be more grassroots and funding. Okay. It's just really hard. We're talking about having to move lots of money. I mean, this is an yeah. issue both from a government perspective or from philanthropy. It's super hard to move lots of money. Like you can't get giving away money is not easy or doing it ethically or responsibly. Okay. Or, yeah. Like making sure the recipients are going to use that money for what they say they're going to use it for or. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Knowing what happens to the money, knowing, you know, how, how good of an intervention it is. Does mm -hmm. it have, what kind of impact does it have? And it's caught and it's really expensive to evaluate programs. So I see. Yeah. So it's like, how do you do that? So on the ones that, so there's, if there's grassroots in one end, the other end is this large scale projects that are really more like the criticism right now would be is like, it's, you know, developed nations, it's the US and Europe telling the global South what they need to fund and how they need to fund it. Mm -hmm. I think we're well beyond that. I mean, while there are people, maybe they're still living in that world, because you have to like, in terms of like, large scale humanitarian crisis like that has to be done by governments or by right. large entities that can move huge amounts of resources around the world but on another scale any all, a lot of projects used to look that way right lots okay. of development in the world used to be like oh you need electricity you need water you need health resources and so somebody in Europe or the US would make a decision and entity and figure out how to do that and go on the ground and implement it. Interesting. Yeah. So we'll get back to Global Partners, but yeah. I heard there's a story about building a boat that we need to discuss. Did you build a boat? <laughs> yeah. How? How do you even learn how to build a boat? Yeah, I know. This is one of those young man things. I, I So you wanted to be Indiana Jones. Like, that's, I would. <laughs> that's what you wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I or like Thor Hire it all or something like that. I mean, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I, 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 in, so Bangladesh at the time, so this was in 2002. Was, okay. Yeah. Um, 
I had traveled to Bangladesh before in 1999, and you know, there's it's a it's a a really amazing space. But one of the things that's really particularly unique about it is there's this rich tradition of wooden boat builders okay. and all sorts of different types of wooden boats. And it's a river and country, so they need boats to move things and. You know, I, I like was had the idea like, oh, we're going to build a boat in Bangladesh and we're going to sail it to Australia. So oh. I got three friends to go with me and do it. And we were going to make a documentary film about it. I mean, I think, to be honest, I was more motivated by and this is with a lot of the things I did is like. Being able to say I did something or okay. like, yeah, like there was like bucket list items, maybe. Yeah. Or like the glory of be like, oh, I'm going to it's gonna, I'm going to bicycle across the north of Africa and then down the West Coast. And I did that, but it was really terrible. And I don't did know. Did you make I, it to Australia? Well, on the, the, no, we didn't. We sunk in the week. Oh, we, my yeah. <laughs> we hit us. We, you know, we. Yeah, we hit it. We hit a storm, and oh, it no. broke the rudder of the boat, and we were rescued in the Indian Ocean by a Ukrainian tanker. Are that you was, serious? Yeah, called the Mona Lisa that was transporting palm oil from Bangladesh to um, to <laughs> to Indonesia. Did they speak English on the Ukrainian yeah, ship? Yeah, it was and great. I mean, the, you know, what was interesting about this one of the one of the members on our our boat was this Norwegian who was in the Coast Guard. And I remember as we were getting like radioing for rescue, we only had a VHF radio. So we had to, we could only like radio line of sight to someone. Oh, yeah. But um, he was like, oh man, it cost those tankers like hundreds of thousands of dollars to like change direction or rescue us. Like they're going to be so angry when they pick us up or they're not going to pick us up. But we, um, we got picked up. And we, you know, it was, you know, it was kind of, it was dramatic because it's like, you know, you, you have to imagine our boat was 12 and a half meters, this small wooden Bangladeshi sampan. And there was this, you know, football size oh tanker that pulled up next to the boat. So it, um, you know, they have these side, we thought that they would send a little rescue boat to come get us, but they pulled the tanker right up next oh. to our boat. So it displaces a lot of water. So like we like came crashing in the side of their boat and and then oh my yeah and then they had you know they had like all their water cannons going because they like they're like worried about pirates and stuff like that yeah <laughs> did you have to like declare who you were before you got yeah, well they're like one person can come up without anything you know they're, they're like and then they're like oh look at who are these white kids in the indian ocean on but um so so yeah so we 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 got rescued and we were really nervous and we get brought to the captain's quarters and he's he we're he's drinking he's like you oh know, yeah and like and we i feel bad saying it because i like it's a like a tanker captains probably shouldn't be drunk like that i'm not <laughs> but it was his last voyage okay and he was like i you know going out with a bang well yeah he was kids. like he's like the, the <laughs> he's like the company told me that i couldn't rescue you but i had rescued one other sailor in my life this italian sailor in the mediterranean and he's like i wanted to you know seamen have to help each other so it's my last trip with them, so fuck them. I'm gonna rescue you guys. So Did you keep in touch with this captain? <laughs> we have, yeah. But and, you know, and he so we spent the rest of the night just drinking. And it oh was and it was goodness. weird. And then the next morning like morning happened really quickly because it was like the middle of the night while we rescued. And in the morning we watched our boat sink. And you know, it was a really it, I I had um I'd been really fixated and focused on doing this trip. And I think I was like a jerk to my friend. I know I was, I don't think I was like a jerk. Yeah, I was a jerk. Um, but the, the experience was really elating because it, it was like ecstatic to watch the boat sink because here's this thing where I had spent, you know, the last year 
working, it was really hard living in Bangladesh. Like one of the Norwegians that was with us had arsenic poisoning and was hospitalized oh in Norway goodness. for part of the trip. And we had to deal with the government. And it was, you know, it was, it's hard. It was hard. I know and we're little boys. Next movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know it. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Africa, to East Africa, and build a boat. There, no, that's a bad <laughs> idea. With global partners, bad no. idea. So from that experience, what did you pull from that to kind of help you along the rest of your career as far as development, seeing how it was living in Bangladesh, Bangladesh trying to build a boat and have this end goal? What did you kind of learn from that? I mean, so one was as I developed relationships with people at the UNHCR, because where we lived in Bangladesh was near where all the Rakhine refugees from Myanmar were living. So I built those connections. And like I said, there was that theme there. Mm -hmm. But the bigger one was is that it definitely killed for me that part of me that wanted to do these ego driven things and so i was like i don't need to adventure anymore like <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> you did it. i did it i was like uh that was, it was you know it was really traumatic it was actually you know like it was a yeah. really, sailing in in a wooden boat and um a big storm was really really super stressful um so imagine yeah and then so but it, but no but it led me to like want to i think you know, I came back and that was when I worked for the needle exchange. Oh, was it, it was after. It was the, after that. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, I think, and again, I think still at that time, you know, it, to be honest, it was really accidental. It was more like, okay, this is the work that I know how, like I know how to work with boards of directors and yeah. fundraise. And um, it just like made sense. And that just snowballed into continuing to work with different nonprofits. But what was good is that I had all of this international experience like being on the ground in places and implementing projects. So that turned into lots of work, like being able to go to a remote space somewhere mm -hmm. and help to build something, you know, maybe that boat experience, skill. did it maybe change things from being about you and more being about others and helping others? Cause it sounds <laughs> yeah, not like in a cliche way or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not trying to save You know, your, your movie that you're making, you're going to go help people on the ground. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, as I got older, definitely. I mean, you know, and having kids does that. I mean, I, I, I actually feel, to be honest, it feels more synchronistic or okay. like less planned just in like, I feel fortunate that that's the work that I've been able to do. I mean, I'm, um, you know, it's hard for me to think about making money, being motivated to make money, which isn't good. I mean, it was a different individual, right? But, but it's like, yeah, it's really, I feel fortunate. Like I can do the work that Global Partners does because it's so intimate. And because I think it has this really great ethos, it feels good to do those projects and meet those partners on the ground and do that kind of work. So I feel lucky. And I think it's part of this like lineage, like, you know, I could say that it's intentional. Like I did this altruistic thing. Like I used to be this terrible person and then now I'm going to, I saw poverty. I'm going to do this. I was like, no, I grew up in LA. My dad worked in Skid Row. Like yeah. I knew about poverty. I mean, I, you know, it was more accidental. Like, oh, there's this, there's this universe has a plan for me to hang out with old white men. <laughs> to help people all over the world. The whole right? the world, yeah. That's right. So I, I have no segue, but I am supposed to ask you about a cheeseburger gun. And I, there's no way to segue into asking about a cheeseburger gun. So there it is. Yeah. <laughs> when, when I, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. When I, when I interviewed for Global Partners, the, um, you know, they were asking, like, what would you want to do? Like, what would you do with the organization? Or like, tell us about ideas you might have, like how to like represent our work. And um, I'm real, I've always been people, 
I don't know if a lot of people don't know about this, but some people do is like um, Jonathan Swift wrote an essay called A Modest Proposal, and it was during the Irish potato famine. Okay. And so it was put in the major newspapers at the time in the UK, but it had um, recipes for if it, it, it opens with an essay talking about like how terrible poverty is in Ireland and like how horrible it is to have all these babies and that's really critical and then it ends with this the modest proposals like it's recipes for how to cook Irish babies stop yeah it was actually published oh yeah it's was great. it it's a, a joke a no it's yeah well it's, <laughs> it's, it's a joke it's satirical he you know yeah so Got it. yeah he uh he's he's who wrote Gulliver's Travel oh okay which is also satirical you know yes yeah okay so um but so he I feel like the world needs a new modest proposal. So, mm-hmm. like one of you know, you, there are all of these issues with development. But I think that my because Global Partners had this history from being world runners, which was their mission was to end world hunger. Okay. So um, I thought you know the world needs a modern day mo- a mo- a, like modest proposal like that. And so mine was like, well, we should we should invent the cheeseburger gun, like, so, oh, and like because it's because it's easy, right? You can mount it onto helicopters or onto tanks, and you could just like you're just gonna drop around, cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers have lots of protein, and just no, no, shoot them at poor people, right? So um, Daniel, the images. They'll be like, geez, it's like cloudy with a chance of meatballs almost. Yeah, uh but it's like (laughs) feed the world, right? So it's like, I think the world needs them. But I mean, obviously it's satirical because it's like, this is the problem with top-down aid. Okay. Or even with other systems, it's just like people get, like the idea of trying to end things is, I mean, is strange, right? Like the idea that like, oh, we could make this system like, yeah, you could feed people by shooting cheeseburger, like, you know, but it doesn't solve their problems and there. (laughs) So what are, what are the, um... Because we talked about solving the big problems and ending things. What are these things that people have claimed to end? Like, like I guess what you said with World Runners, they were trying to end world hunger. Yeah. Um, is it just not realistic or the way they're going about it is not realistic? We shouldn't think about ending world hunger or bringing peace to the entire world. Is that just some fantasy or how do you think? I mean, I, no, I th- so I'm really optimistic. I think we live in a world where things keep getting better. Um, I think that the problem becomes the inner, if the focus is too much on those things. So like we, obviously people like have these ideals. We want to live in a peaceful world, we a, utopia. a world without you, like all these things, but it's really nebulous and it's really hard to know what that looks like or means. We live in a world where there's great disparity, right? There are mm-hmm. people that have so much and there's people that have so little. And so... I think we need to figure out how to address that. So, and those things aren't about these ending these isms, like ending, it's like they're more grounded in real things. Like people need, it's not complicated. They don't, it's not rocks. Like people need healthcare, people need roads, people need functioning governments. Like we kind of know what works, but what happens I think is, and this is definitely like a product of the world we live in where like this idea like business is gonna save the world. I think like innovation is great. And those things are going to continue to improve our lives. Mm -hmm. But if we still have to solve these other problems, like, you know, like we're not going to, like you, we just see it a lot in our work. There's not going to be this device that just like you push a button that's going to feed people or end Mm -hmm. poverty. They have to have these functioning systems like that they fit into. And those things aren't that complicated. So I think we see, it's like we get, people are really seduced by those innovative ideas because they sound amazing. Like, so the ones I hear right about right now are like these, like, 
solar companies around the world or like in West Africa where they're like, oh, they're ending energy poverty. Oh, okay. Which is fine. Like, obviously, like, and then they'll have these narratives about like, oh, well, there's all these people that don't have energy. And imagine like having surgery under candlelight or like these things. But it's like, yeah, hospitals need electricity, right? Like we, but the, the, this idea that there's energy poverty and solving it's going to okay. be this thing is more like, no, there's just like, there's a lot of problems that need to get solved for those people. They, they need, there needs to be development. And I think that the fixation on these innovative ideas takes away from more practical ideas that are locally led and simple that just need to happen for people to thrive, right? Okay, and yeah. so is that how Global Partners works as far as they're not trying to end or fix, they're more talking to local communities about what they need in that immediate moment? Yeah, I think the ho so I think that Global Partners fell into this niche of grassroots work. So when they were world runners, they were on this movement of ending hunger Okay. in the world and they were doing it by running marathons and raising money but then they were just ultimately giving money to large entities oh. international entities that were doing that type of poverty work and i think they realized they're like well we actually want to be able to give money directly on the ground to schools and women's groups and people that are are living in that poverty and doing it and so that's how global partners came to be and so that's the those so I think that for those founders that were doing that, I I think that they're they were still trying to move the needle of like infant child mortality and hunger and okay. like but their idea was the way to do that isn't by funding these top down things. The way to do that is to go down and ask people what they need and to be able to and it's not even just asking, I think it's more it just has to be steered by local people. It has to be, local people have to invest in their own projects and it ha you know and ultimately like it is about capital they need capital to be able to do you know they could have all the hopes and dreams and organize or be given all of the amazing aid or innovation or mosquito nets or whatever but ultimately at the end of the day is like they need to have their own civic engagement and organization i think that was what was going on with global Partners. and so who's actually doing the work and making the projects move along is it Western countries coming in and doing it, or is it the local people doing it? How does Global Partners work as far as getting the projects done? Yeah, so we have so we have East African staff on the ground that implement that, but mostly the way that happens, and historically it happened through partnerships with other local entities, like really small CBOs, community-based organizations, um, and also just local leaders in the communities where we had been working for many, many years. So. And how do you find these leaders? Do they find you or do you approach them? I mean, at this point now, it's through a network of people that we've developed relationships with. I think, you know, when, you know, initially when we went to East Africa, we went to Nairobi and there we worked in the slums in Nairobi and that was like how we got engaged there. But from there, the network just expanded. So I think there, I would say like there's a network throughout East Africa in Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and Burundi of elders of and organizations that we've worked with. And so some of those were like women's group, Maasai women's groups that had like, you know, 20 members when we met them. And now okay. they're, they're organizations that are larger than us. And um, I think that's the kind of work that I'm passionate about. It's like finding though so it's similar like startups right like mm -hmm. high what is it high risk high, high reward, reward. yeah mm -hmm. so um when i see a lot of grassroots funds or people that are saying that they fund grassroots work the the barrier to receive that funding is so high that 
even global partners would barely qualify, right? But they, they're saying they want to be doing that work with local people. So in our work that I'm really passionate about is like we can identify local people that don't have an entity form, that maybe don't even okay. have a CBO, but are already doing work in their communities and help them to build an organization and scale that and fund projects with them and then build a partnership so that they on their, they can become that organization that maybe then can tap into those other types of grassroots funding. Oh, that's great. So you yeah. kind of set up a system where then they can help themselves after that. Yeah. A lot, I mean, and then practically a lot of our work on the ground right now is, and what our team in Kenya does is, we, we identify low-performing schools in a particular region, and we do infrastructure projects with them. But from that, we, that's also a way that we identify new partners to then do work with. Okay, that's interesting. And so in your time with Global Partners, from the first time you went to East Africa to how long have you been with Global Partners now? Nine and a half years. Wow. How many, how many trips to East Africa would you say you've done in nine and a half years? Um, 20 something. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen kind of an evolution or have you seen just from like projects you saw when you first started to now, does it have, do you see an impact? You know, I mean, this is, I think our work is, is great. I mean, I see an impact. You know, it's also, I think that the world is developing. So, you know, or I see organizations take credit for things that they okay. do, right? Because it's like anything. Like you can go in and influence something and then be like, look, we built this and then mm -hmm. that led to all of these other amazing things in this community. You know, we gave this community some cows and now they've built rocket ships, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Where's that correlation? Yeah, I know. And like, we're going to take credit for those rocket ships. I think in our work that, you know, what's interesting about traveling with some of the founders is, you know, we funded projects with women groups in parts of Uganda where now there are these really massive organizations. What's really interesting about it is, is the work that they're doing civically and politically and how that's growing and what that's changing in their environment. And like, you know, we have, you know, historical scholarship recipients that, you know, have done amazing things. I mean, so I think it's really weird to take credit for those things because mm -hmm. I think that even without Google Partners or any organizations, like, Progress is happening. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah. So. so what are we, what's our plan here with this podcast? Like we're going to talk to these people, these experts about what they know well, and is it going to relate to development, to philanthropy? What do we want to get from these experts on a, on a, on a whole? Just a conversation? What do you, what, are, what is our end goal of trying to figure out how the great minds think about philanthropy and yeah. development? Well, I mean, I, one is I want to do to them what you didn't do to me, which is make me have to like be certain about something. So uh -huh. I, I like, <laughs> no, I like the idea. Like people have to do this, right? Like these experts in their field have to have, you know, they're 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 where they are for a reason, and they know mm -hmm. about something. So I'm curious to see what people can talk about that they like a subject they understand really particularly well and can speak to and say. I know this thing, and this is what I believe or know, and this is why. And like, at, at the base, that's just initially what I want to be able to get from them. Okay. Yeah. And then from there, I think it's then having a dialogue about their field and mm -hmm. being like, what are the problems in your field? What are the things right. people are saying that you don't agree with? Mm -hmm. Like, what, you know, like those kinds of things. And, uh, you know, politically, I think people have to speak with their hands tied a lot because okay. there's like the things you're supposed to say and mm -hmm. 
there's just the way things are and it's it's interesting to hear people when we can you can get them to be like well this isn't what this isn't working and this is why i think but this is why it's not happening or why it's not changing so um i think there's a lot i think we actually are in a moment where the intentions are there for people to and we have a lot of really great academics and knowledge about how to solve poverty or like how to make the world better but we can't agree about them okay and and then also we don't know how to implement some of those things and they're not getting implemented and there's lots of excuses for why mm -hmm. and I, so i think like while we live in an era where we have a lot of the answers i think we also right now have a lot of people that are working on bad projects in so many fields but this is my thing i mean you know, yeah. yeah and what kind of, what i kind of love just to bring back up the cheeseburger gun is i and i think when experts talk to each other well, breaking pens yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's hulk now um what i loved about the cheeseburger gun is i i think when tech experts speak to each other they have this high level of speak that they understand each other whereas i'm not from this world yeah. so you're cheeseburger gun thing that makes sense to me like i need it to un i need to be able to understand it just like any lay person could understand it yeah um so that's really helpful yeah. i mean i don't know are you gonna work on that yeah i gotta work <laughs> on well yeah <laughs> on your cheeseburger well, yeah is it in and out is it mcdonald's is it bk broiler oh yeah i was in this fat burger oh yeah oh not white castle <laughs> not white, ca I love white castle burgers yeah man. those are easy I, yeah Oh, don't get us started on food. Oh, yeah. no. It's no, going to end forever. Thank you. Rita. All right. Thank you, Daniel. And I can't wait to talk to all the experts in their field and figure out how we're going to not end world hunger and, <laughs> and not bring world peace, but do it in ways that are manageable yeah. and actually scalable. Yeah. Thanks, Daniel. At Global Partners for Development, our mission is to advance community-led initiatives that improve education and public health in East Africa. We envision a world in which every East African community has the capacity to implement dynamic, sustainable solutions to the challenges they face. To learn more, visit gpfd.org.